Money Mind, expanding your mind when it comes to money matters. Here's your host, Tanya Carlson from Amplify Wealth Management. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Money Mind. Today on the show, we have the amazing Trisha Kashmir, CEO of the Healthy Body Company, and what I'd like to call a career butterfly. Um, You're going to learn more about her metamorphosis today. Trish has what she refers to as a non-linear career, which has seen her work across many industries and sectors. She has professional qualifications in physiotherapy, law and governance and is an active board participant. Trisha's main role is as an allied health business owner and she's deeply committed to supporting early career health professionals reach their full potential. Trish is also a mum to four boys and if she ever finds time to take a break, she likes to go hiking and loves being in the outback of Australia where there's limited telephone coverage. Well done. Welcome to the show, Trish. Thanks for having me, Tanya. No worries at all. Now, I do like to ask the same two questions of everybody in the beginning. So the first one is a quick one. It's, are you a spender, a saver or an in-betweener? I'm an in-betweener with some anxiety around money always. So (laughs) Great. We'll have a conversation about that maybe. The second one is, can you tell us about your cultural background and upbringing? Yes. So my parents were both poor from poorer families. My mum's actually an immigrant. So she came to Australia as a small child and grew up in an Italian family in the Riverina. And my dad was from an Australian, you know, white Australian background and lived all around Western New South Wales as a child. So when I was actually born in the Mallee in Victoria, which is, you know, outback really. And mum and dad owned the local post office and telephone exchange. So that's a 24-hour job plugging calls through. There's a whole lot of people listening to this who wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. That's true. That's a generational thing. Back in the olden days. (laughs) Never mind. Young people, you had to use to plug things in, yeah. (laughs) To get a call through. Anyway, my parents did that in their community. And then when they had myself and one of my brothers decided that the opportunities were very limited in rural Victoria. So I moved to Sydney and we grew up in Western Sydney where I um, went to the local schools. Now, I I called you a career butterfly um, for a specific reason, but I thought that it'd be nice to start at the beginning um, of, of, I guess, when you left school and you went to university and studied physiotherapy. And um, I've been listening to some of your podcasts and we'll come back to that. Obviously, I want to talk about those. But, you know, you mentioned that you you didn't really have a great start um, once you'd graduated. Do you want to talk about uni and how that all came? No, yeah. so, yeah, I'm happy to, I mean, I'm happy to talk about that because that drives pretty much everything I do in my job now. I look back and I think, oh, it's surprising that anybody could bear me because I was such a precocious, annoying teenager. I just thought I was really clever and I just wanted to, you know, do everything perfectly well. I was, you know, just that classic type A child. Perfectionist. Yeah, ticked all the boxes, did all the right things, went to university again, ticked all the boxes, did all the right things. Um, actually did honours in physiotherapy because, you know, again, box ticking, doing the right things. <laughs> and then I got out into the workforce and it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. Um, one one reason is because being a, you know, type A box ticker isn't necessarily a, a, a road to success in, in, in life. So that was a good lesson. Um, but also because I, I just, I, I wanted to be around inspiring people, I guess. I wanted to be inspired. I wanted to do something amazing. And I, I looked and there was nobody around me who inspired me. 
that's not their fault, I don't think. But uh, whatever it was that I thought, you know, I couldn't see where, what I wanted to be and I tried different things as a physiotherapist. I was in public health for a while and then I went and worked in the university sector. I worked in private practice, you know, I, I dabbled. Um, but, like, nowhere did I find those inspirational people and often I found people who disappointed me terribly, which I'm sure it's not, it's not a message that they want to hear, but things happened in the workplace. Let's hope they're not listening, yes. <laughs> That's right. Things happened in the workplace that I just said, wow, you know, how could you actually do that? Um, so, yeah, it was just, it, it was oh, d- disappointing. I, look, and I did meet, I, you know, I got involved myself in our professional association. I tried very hard, but I just don't think I was the right fit and I couldn't find the right pathway for me. So I had to make a move. Yeah, interesting. Well, I, you know, it, I think... Uh, we'll talk about our kids later, but we've got children coming through and, and learning about who they want to be and how they want to live their life. And it's it's challenging when you've got an ideal situation of, that you think is going to take you on that path and it's not quite what you thought it was. So you went back to uni and decided to study law. I mean, how did that come about? How did you look at law from physiotherapy? <laughs> It, it's as random as it sounds. Um, I, I actually was looking at different master's degrees in health because that seemed to be more sensible. And I thought about public health, you know, master's in public health, different things. And I just didn't find one that really, you know, lit my fire. Um, I went away with my husband for a bit of a holiday and thought to myself, you know what, I don't actually have to stay in health at all. The whole world is still out there. I can do whatever I want. And I had actually done work experience in law at high school. Yeah, which was interesting. They they turned me off it. I suppose um, I saw it as an op- I, I, I was just a an opportunity, almost a luxury, just to go back and study something just because it interested you. And that was what I did. So I applied for the program at UNSW, which is an amazing program um, of small group learning. And you know, off I went, and I and I just from the first second, like I loved everything about that course and that place and those people. So it was super fun. So you ended up in commercial law. And in particular, I don't know if this evolved over time, I would imagine it did, into sort of environmental law, is that right? I mean, when you start off as a lawyer, usually you do like a different, if you go into one of the big firms, you'll get opportunities to work in different areas. I had some children before I started working in law. So again, you know, not the normal pathway. I had a couple of jobs, but I was provided with an opportunity to join a team at one of the big firms and it was a great job and it was in planning environment law which I knew nothing about actually. So that was just one of those things that happened. Um, but climate change is actually a personal passion. So in within that role, uh, you know, they supported me to grow a kind of practice space in climate change law um, in the sort of, they call them orties, don't they? Anyway, that period from, two th- yes, in that period, which was, you know, it was quite new um, and it was, you know, really exciting and it sort of was a personal passion as well as a professional opportunity. So that was really exciting. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that when I was sort of reading through that because around that time, they just, it was so hardly spoken about, whereas now we're seeing so much more movement. I mean, do you still sort of follow where that's going a little bit? I do. You know, it depends on where you uh, were as opposed to how much was being talked about because uh, there was a lot of stuff happening in Europe. There was a lot of stuff happening in some of the states of America. Australia was always backward, yeah, and there's lots of reasons. There's a great podcast about that <laughs> on the ABC about why we didn't take action early. But there was lots happening. I mean, the UK produced the first big report. Um, so there there were things, but it was um, it was just, yeah, it was an interesting time and it was a great opportunity for me to 
create a role that let me actually be flexible at that time, which was unusual, um, and still pursue sort of things that interested me. So that must have been quite sort of out of the norm for the big law firms. I, I've, I've got a, a number of clients that are lawyers and, and in fact, I worked sort of in the legal recruitment space many, many um, lifetimes ago myself. So I was sort of familiar with that long hours, big, big heavy lifting workload. Uh, so how did, how did that work for you? Were you able to work from home at that time? No, a, a little bit. Actually, it doesn't work that well. So <laughs> what happens is it's a it's a it's a sideways step. So it's an opportunity to work in a space, but it's certainly not a career um, opportunity. You you need to do the heavy lifting, or at that time you needed to do the heavy lifting with the big cases and the big matters to be able to progress within the firm. Um, and I very much was not going anywhere doing that job, but enjoying it, but just treading water. Compromises. That's exactly right. It was it was a compromise that worked at the time. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure many females can can relate to that. Unfortunately, it's just just how it works, really, isn't it? A lot of compromise. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've you've got four children, so you obviously um, kept having babies for a period of time, and kept getting male ones, which is um, which is a bit of fun. Now, around that time, did you also do the company directors course, or did that come later? So I did the company directors course when my youngest child was two. Um, and it really was because I was frustrated, I guess, with when, when you're sort of projecting forward at that point as to where your career is going to go. Um, I, I was, what I saw of successful women in law were very long hours and often two nannies. That was sort of the model. And, um, I didn't really want that for my own life. That wasn't sort of where I could see myself just wasn't going to work. So. But, but I really do love that high-level you know, thinking work. And it's hard to find jobs where you have that opportunity. Um, certainly governance work, board work is, is one of those places. So um, I self-funded the company director's course because I thought that it would be something that would be helpful for me going forward in terms of, you know, sort of opening up a different scope of opportunity. And look, I guess um, around that time that I think you were working as a lawyer, probably finished your company director's course, I'm sure you're probably on some boards. You had a, a family event that sort of changed things really forever. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yep. So it's something that happens to some people. Um, one of my second, my second child was diagnosed with cancer when he was 10. So our youngest child at that time was four. And absolutely, it changed everything. You know, it's a funny story, funny, weird story. When when he was first diagnosed, um, I was still working and I w- there was a meeting with the oncologist and my husband was going to the meeting and I was at work that day and we always sort of had, that was our life, like generally one was at home, one was at work or, you know, with some sort of childcare in between. And so I decided that I would go to work and I would just phone in to the- Great idea, yes. <laughs> The me- oh, it's fantastic. It was the best idea ever. <laughs> so, and I had a big piece of work I had to do that day. So he was at the oncologist meeting and I was on the telephone and, and my son was in the hospital and they were talking about what would be happening because people say things like, oh, you know, rounds of chemotherapy, all those different things. And and until you're actually there, you're like, what is a round of chemotherapy? What does that even mean? Um, so there was lots of learning going on as we kind of come to, came to understand the, the actual 
process of how you deal with this. And um, anyway, I worked out pretty quickly that day that there was no way that I could keep being a lawyer because the reality is that you can't phone those ones in. Um, <laughs> you, need, you need to be in your room and you just need to be really flexible. So my husband has his own business, had his own business, and so flexibility wasn't great for him. I know that people always think small business flexibility, but when everything comes to you, you sometimes just need to be there. Um, and my job meant that I couldn't, I was an hour away for a start. I couldn't just drop things and be somewhere. And with a sick child with that sort of condition, you literally do need to be able to go, right, we're going to the hospital right now. Um, so someone had to be there all the time. So I took a six month, um, sabbatical from work. They were beautiful. I just said that that day literally walked out the door, didn't come back. <laughs> my boss said to me, so I said, did you finish that thing? And I went, no. And he goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, deep breath. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, that was, and that was the end of my law career pretty much. That day, that was the last thing. Yeah. Well, I guess you wouldn't have known it really completely at that time, but we make decisions based on what's going on at the moment. And I I, I knew you at that time. I I was involved in meal drop offs and and all those sort of schedules that wonderful people rallied around you and the family and and, um, supported you. And just to let our audience know, Angus recovered and is an amazing child building his own career now. Um, but it wasn't without hurdles. I mean, um, you know, that his cancer did come back. And at the, how long was that, Trish? So we got it the first sort of clear uh, in October um, and then we had 16 months of okay and we did so many holidays in that 16th month. It was actually a fantastic 16 months. Um, and we were skiing in Japan and he said to me, Mum, I, I, I think the lumps are back. And I'm looking at him going, oh, no, you probably just got a virus while we've been travelling. I'm sure it's fine. And we went back to that next appointment and, you know, like, the doctor, we were speaking to one because they have, like, a this massive team of doctors when you're in that space with children's cancer. So I think we had four and one of them sort of was doing the, the review and she looked into his neck and she, and, and she walked out and she came back with four and we both went, oh, yeah, this is not very good. No. <laughs> Bad day. Never mind. He's good now. He is good now. And, you know, um, he, he's amazing now, but obviously very challenging time for your family. I know you had to fundraise for his medication. It was, um, I, I know you had personal insurance, which, which included some sort of child cover, but clearly we're talking very large medical bills with something so serious. And you got involved with Rare Cancers Australia. I did. I suppose as health professionals, we weren't just passive participants in his um, healthcare. And they were, you know, we were constantly reading research and new papers and our oncologist was fantastic. He'd say, oh, I've got this and I've got that. And so we're running it. And so when Angus, Angus had to have a bone marrow transplant um, in his second lot of treatment, he had all the things. He had chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and then the bone marrow transplant. While he was in transplant, some new research was published in the States, which showed that this particular um, drug, which was like a biological drug, targeted therapy, would reduce the risk of recurrence of his cancer by 50%. And um, with his type of cancer, when it comes back, sometimes it can be very nasty and it can just keep coming back and it can just be a lifetime of this, you know, treatment roller coaster. So we were very keen to do something to spit him off that <laughs> treadmill. And so this um, drug, so I said, great, let's do the drug. And I went, oh, there's a problem. It's not approved on the PBS at that time. So that was a huge shock to me because he'd actually already had the drug in his treatment protocol and it had been funded by the foundation at the Children's Hospital without us even being aware that just happened in the background. Nobody said, oh, this is costing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. They just did it. 
but because of the number of six, it was 16 um, additional, yes, of that drug, it was going to be very expensive and the foundation weren't in a position to fund it and the drug company weren't giving it to us for free. Um, so then we were in a position of funding it, which, you know, we had a, we had our home with a mortgage still, but, you know, there was definitely some equity to, to borrow money, but our oncologist also saw it as an opportunity to raise some profile for this very big problem um, because most people, I think, assume in Australia that, that cancer treatment's free and it's not for everybody. There are certainly pathways for, uh, and children have the best for sure. Children's cancer treatment is by and large free unless they end up in the situation that we did where some high-cost drug is recommended. For other people, adult cancer, it's actually can be quite expensive, quite debilitating. Anyway, so we did all the things. We Rare Cancers Australia is an amazing Australian charity that um, provides incredible patient support for navigation of the healthcare system for people with difficult cancers, and they are the people who need the most help with navigation. They also have a crowdfunding portal which allows you to donate your money to them and then they pay for the drugs that you need. Now, it's a tricky thing, but it makes your your, your treatment tax deductible, which... However, it's being paid for is actually incredibly helpful. So even if it was us and our families that were doing it, that was a way to lessen the pain a little bit. Um, but as you are aware, Tanya, what happened was that everybody got on the bandwagon um, and enormous numbers of people donated enormous amounts of money, um, which funded all of Angus's treatment plus the treatment for lots of other people, which was incredible. So, uh, yeah, that was a, I mean, kind of weird. I always think that was a weird time, but... Uh, sort of amazing as well because, again, the, the thing with that whole experience was we realised that there are so many incredible people, you know, people like you who supported us with meals and driving the kids to sport and, you know, taking us to hospital or just doing whatever we needed to be done. But also, you know, all of that money, like it was hundreds of $300,000 dollars in the end that was raised. I think sometimes when we live in big cities, we, we can feel that we're not part of community and, and it's a shame that tough times uh, lead us to step up and, and, you know, start taking care of the people that need it. But um, I, I think you're right, the, the charity organisation uh, does an amazing job and there's plenty of families that need to know about um, organisations like that and plenty of people that want to help in some way and don't know how and, and maybe able to go and look up Rare Cancers Australia and, and, and donate because they will be, that money goes directly to the people that need you know, those very expensive medical treatments. And, um, yes, unfortunately, it's not free in Australia. And they can work. That's the thing. Like some people think that this is sort of, you know, the last resort stuff. And often people have had a really rocky journey. But I personally know, you know, a number of people who who have had those sorts of medications and, and, and you know, having are able to continue to have, a, you know, purposeful, engaged life. Um, they may be living with cancer, but that doesn't mean, you know, that's the end of it. So I, I, that you shift, I think, the way that you think about cancer after you've been through that experience. I think so too. And I think it's important to remember that, and, and most people have been touched by cancer in some way or other. And, and what I think a lot of us learn is that it's experimental me medicine. You know, there's, there's things happening all the time. So you need to be open-minded. You need to try whatever you can if, if that's I guess the path that you want to go on, obviously, as parents, you're going to be doing everything you can for your child and whatever has to happen has to happen. But it, it did produce a wonderful result and I think that's really important to share as well because um, they're the stories that give people hope and, and reason to keep keep um, fighting on, which is great. 
So if we if we pivot away from that, obviously that time was very challenging and and for your family um, just from a day to day basis, let alone what Angus and and you all went through. But you you've come back into the family business. I did. I took it over. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> not like you at all, Trish, is it? Right. Okay, well now I'm going to run this thing. Um, but you've gone and embarked on. I guess I feel like it's a mission to transform allied health. I feel like you're really trying to do things differently. You've got four practices now, correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, you've, you've obviously got a team of people coming through, some senior physios, some graduates, and, and you're trying to, I guess the word wellness is, is in my mind too, because that's a big sort of movement at the moment where people are aware that living a good, healthy life is going to have some positive results in all areas of their life. What are the challenges for you ahead and what are you learning now that you're running the, this physio empire? I won't even call it an empire, but <laughs> I have a, a lovely team of very engaged people who are all motivated to do their jobs as well as they can and to be leaders within our profession. So it's exciting to be around. It's that high achiever thing. Like I love being around people who are passionate about what they're doing and, you know, want to be doing it as well as they can. So that that's an exciting thing. Um, I suppose one of my frustrations with Allied Health and one of the things that we're doing differently was that push to excellence. And it comes from, I suppose, where Allied Health came from. So we were sort of the assistant professions in health and people went almost like trades, I guess, and they went to university and then they had some skills and they just went into places and applied those skills, often at the direction of doctors, not necessarily with a lot of collaboration. Yeah, I'm thinking active thinking themselves. But we've evolved and for a long time now physiotherapists have been first-line practitioners as have a range of other allied health professionals. And I think with that comes a real responsibility to be on your game and to know what you're doing, um, not just to be passively treating but to actively diagnosing and making really good plans for people. Um, I suppose one of the shifts with our business is that we really do want to focus on supporting people to be active and healthy through life. So not just fixing big problems when they come, but, you know, keeping you on the path because as you know, Tanya, I know, um, <laughs> if you, if you slip off it, it, as you, you know, as we get older, it actually is harder to keep going and to, to make, you know, to, to have to live sort of the life at the level that you want to. So in our own way, we're all high performance athletes, I guess. And, and, I, and in our team, we, we like to sort of support everybody to be the very best that they can be. And I, and I have this thing that I say to my team, 70% of, the, you know, of our profession will get 70% of the people better, but I want to be the 30%. Like we can do, we can be the ones who can, who can sort out that other 30% that require a little bit more thinking, a little bit more work, a little bit more planning. But I don't want to just sort of put anyone in the too hard basket. I feel like everybody deserves to be as active and healthy as they can right through life. So that's that's what we do, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, no, well done. I, I think it's wonderful. And, and I, I know uh, you've got a busy team and I've been keeping them busy lately. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Thank but you. That's okay. That happens. Um, okay. So now along, I guess, as part of your journey and part of you growing your team and, and you know, pushing the envelopes, as they say in this area, you've gone and launched uh, your own podcast called The Business of Health. And how did that come about and, and what are you hoping to achieve with that? So that came about because I am involved in a, a bit of a mastermind with um, a group of women in online business. Um, during COVID, I think we all had a moment 
big moment where I didn't know whether I would have a business. And so I pivoted a little towards the online space and developed an online offering that is for knee rehab. If anyone needs knee rehab, we can hook you up with that. (laughs) Great. Yes, sure there is. But in that space, I've met lots of interesting people doing things in that online area. So I think that we, and and especially women, because I feel like we've often been challenged by our other responsibilities. And this provides an opportunity and a platform for all of these incredibly brilliant people who otherwise may not be able to get to their market so easily to be able to, you know, access everybody that might need their service. So through that group, um, I met Eve, who's my co-host, who's actually a podiatrist and she has run businesses in Victoria. So we were very similar, but you know, not the same at all. And our podcast is very niche. So I'm not recommending everybody go listen, but if you're an allied health professional or a small business owner, you might get some pearls in there. Um, so our podcast is very much around, you know, what it feels like in different aspects of, of being, you know, allied health business owners. In terms of what I personally want to get out of it, I'm really not sure. Um, I'm not selling anything off the back of it. It's just an opportunity to have a chat with interesting people. I don't want to be a business coach, so that's not, that's not where it is. But I do like to uh, I do like to share my my well my pearls of wisdom. So I guess it's just that bossy me wanting to come out and tell everyone how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said it so harshly, Trish. I think sharing and caring you is is wanting to share the lessons that you've learned, and I think that's something that, you know, obviously we're on a podcast ourselves for the same reason, that um, it, it always looks easier from the outside and everybody, certainly business owners themselves, know that it's not easy at all um, and there's there's the need to constantly reinvent yourself almost. Um, obviously, situations like COVID really made us all have to think on our feet, but if you can share your ideas, other people can take that and add to their experiences and and sometimes we come up with even better ideas again so um you know it's it's the old um two heads are better than one in a way isn't it absolutely and eve who um is my co-host she's so clever we have these conversations and i'm literally taking notes while we're talking going oh (laughs) things i can do fantastic thank you (laughs) so it's wonderful so you're learning as well as sharing which is great yeah excellent so in terms of the lessons, I mean, what are some of the things you, 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 you're growing a business, which um, in itself is really challenging thing to do to scale a business and, and do it successfully um, is, is a big effort and takes a lot. Um, what are some of the man- money lessons, I guess, given we're on a money podcast that you'd like to share with people that, that might help them or might be mistakes or it might be tips? What have you found helpful? Oh, I've just been reading a book about all this. It's actually, which is interesting. The road less stupid. It's like the things don't, to, you know, it's all the things not to do in business. It's funny. It's this <laughs> American guy called Keith Cunningham, and he's got a real Texan twang. So I've listened. He's in my head. He's been this. I've been walking around with Keith the last few days, and so this whole funding of business thing was because uh, we haven't gone into enormous amounts of debt to fund our growth. Um, we've borrowed small amounts along the way and then paid them back. Um, I'm not a big um, lover of huge amounts of debt, which comes from my conservative kind of, I suppose, financial background. And it's very interesting because I think up until now when interest rates have been going up, there has been, it's almost like you're embarrassed not to be someone who's using debt to grow. Angus, my son is at uni studying business and he's like, you know, it's all debt to grow, debt to grow. And I'm like, oh, I'm not that comfortable. And Keith agrees with me, so um, you're happy then. Go Keith, yeah, <laughs> yeah, happy. And it's, I you know, like it's, it's about we've grown in this a very sustainable way. So 
you know, obviously the upside has probably been less than what it might have been. However, we haven't suffered a downside in any way along the journey, which is which sits, sits really comfortably with me. Like we've been able to have a nice lifestyle. We're very fortunate and I haven't had to have enormous numbers of sleepless nights. Um, the only thing that causes me sleepless nights are staff issues. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other topic. And yes, yeah, yeah, we won't, go, we won't even go there, but yes. That's right. But, the you know, the, the, the business has been, I've run it very conservatively. I keep, you know, quite high levels of cash in the bank. Um, as we've grown, it's actually a, a part of our model is about providing opportunities for our team. So our two, two of our clinics are part owned by people who previously had been our staff who have that desire to go into business themselves. And that's very exciting for me because it, for, you know, we've been able to provide people basically amazing opportunities from when they graduate from university right up to a point where now they're business owners themselves and. They're wonderful to work with because they're very engaged and committed to the business and it's, you know, it's worked out really well for all of us. So it's been interesting. Um, I would say that we, there have been mistakes though. Like we, we did open businesses in the past and have had to exit because we weren't very clear with business partners around how everything worked. We didn't have very good sort of legal structures behind their relationships and shareholder agreements sort of really need to, if you are looking at going into business with someone, well, actually anything with someone, you need to talk about all the crap that can happen before you start. Every single thing. Risk management. Absolutely. Um, and a really robust shareholder agreement means that you've already dealt with all of the potential downsides. So everyone's very clear about expectations and that has been, if there's any piece of gold in this, I would say that's the most important thing to do in, if you're using, you know, working with other people to grow. Mm, I don't know. A bit boring, isn't it? You've mentioned a couple of really good things there. I think um, debt is an interesting one, uh, and I think you're right. You're seeing the, I guess the the positive to that process now that interest rates are rising, and and obviously there there are lots of young people that have never gone through times when interest rates have risen uh, because it has been very low levels for a long time. But we've certainly lived through those cycles when they've been higher, and our parents again lived through the times when they were astronomically high. Um, so I guess, you know, we've got some level of what that does, you know, magnifies gains, but also magnifies losses if you've made a poor decision. So it is really important to be considerate about that. And then I think like you've, you've identified a succession plan for staff, which is giving them buy-in and they're doing, they may not naturally be business owners, but they can step into that with your support and guidance um, and get some experience and, and be invested as an employee as well is great. And yeah, there's nothing like sitting down with people and talking about, well, let's pretend it all goes wrong. How are we going to deal with this? So that's that real sort of risk management and like you say, watertight contracts, um, which is which is given your legal background, um, should be something that I guess, but it's, it's always interesting, isn't it? A lot of experience comes from when things go wrong and you learn that next time I'm not going to do it that way. Absolutely. And I would say my, what my legal background taught me is that I never want to be in a legal dispute. Yeah. Ever. So um, if you have really good contracts, which are very clear, you should never have to rely on them because, and it's just a tool for conversation. It's such an interesting thing. Like people think that the contract is the thing, but it's actually the conversation and the negotiation that goes behind the contract that is the very helpful piece of the whole, of the whole thing, which is why I suppose, you know, when people talk about those premarital things, it's, it's usually because it's just been dumped on somebody. There's no conversation that goes with it. It's just if, if we have great conversations, then we're in a much better place. 
binding financial agreements. Yes. <laughs> so what we call them these days? Prenup. Basically a prenup, but a binding financial agreement, which is the same thing, which is somebody saying, well, here's, here's what I think should happen. Yeah. Um, and might never get used, but it might. Um, and so, yeah, I think looking at it with just, again, as a, as a contract and a position where people can understand where they're coming from, it makes sense. So, I mean, what's next for you? What's on your radar as well? Because you're always looking into things and I know you're very well read and always searching for, for more and curious. Is there something that you're looking into that's different? Different. So I'm actually winding back my governance portfolio a little bit at the moment. So I'm actually, I'm stepping, my last board role finishes next February, not because I'm being kicked off, just because my term has naturally ended. Okay. <laughs> good. Good to be clear about that. Anyone's wondering? <laughs> and I'm, I'm feeling like I need to do less and maybe do the things that I'm doing better. So my, my goal for 2023 is just to actually wind things back. So extricate myself from a few obligations. That's interesting for your personality. It's, yeah, well, it is interesting, but I had a milestone birthday recently. Um, not that it's time to stop, but I just, I, I just feel the need to do the things that I do better rather than do all of the things. Yeah, okay, so hone in on a few things and, and spend a bit more time mastering. Absolutely, and very much about that team place because, I mean, I was just – COVID stopped me from being physically in my businesses a lot. I sort of stepped away. We all worked in these little silos, tried not to cross-contaminate. It, it really prevented that engagement piece. And just in the last couple of months, I've stepped back into being physically present at some of the different clinics. And I've had the most amazing conversations and the, like little things have coming up. So just opportunities that the team are aware of, that different people want to pursue and being able to support those individuals to do those things is actually where I can see a lot of um, engagement in the next 12 months. So that's sort of the short term. I don't have a long-term plan. I just, I wanted to sit with not doing the governance and see how that feels because it's ha it has been something that I've enjoyed a great deal, but it's a big commitment and you need to, you know, be really on the game. And I, the, you know, when, when we're looking at what's happening in the community around climate change, which is on the, you know, radar of every board and also, you know, the culture cultural shift that we've had, um, the way that we're looking after our people and our staff, the way that we're looking after the community more generally and who our stakeholders are. There's all of these, you know, big things happening. It's social policies are really changing, aren't they? It's really huge. You know, the con what is the social contract of a business now? Like it's it's not something that you can sit in without being very mindful. So I'm looking to see how some of that evolves and decide whether I want to step back into that space or whether I'm just going to focus on my patch and just try and do that really well. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, as, as I referred to you as the, the career butterfly, I think that um, what I found fascinating is you might sort of step back and look and say, gee, what a hot, hodgepodge of choices. But actually, I feel like they've all kind of come in and tied together. Is that sort of your experience? Everything that I've done has been valuable. So when I look at the skill set that I have, it's, it is, you know, it's broad, but there's so much, everything supports me to do something else. And, and the knowledge that I have every day, I, I would pull something from somewhere. It's quite amazing. So it's almost like I, I, I laugh because I have a job now that I don't actually need any qualifications for. I could just do it. And yet I have all of them. I, I, I think that that's been yeah, very helpful for me. I think so too. I think that um, it's made you, you know, yes, you may be able to do this 
role without them, but it's probably made you do them better and be more aware of those aspects and things like social policies. You know, there's plenty of small business owners that haven't thought about how they're looking after their staff or what they need to consider moving forward and probably not through that ESG lens. Well, um, when we think of, and, and if I'm, forgive me for speaking in acronyms, but that stands for environmental, social and governance. And it's something that we look at um, financially all the time, but it's just a term that I'm seeing more and more people speak about. And the the E used to be the dominating factor, the environmental issues, and, and still is for, for obvious reasons. But um, there's been such a shift and definitely I think since COVID with those social aspects and looking after people. Looking after, I mean, it's looking after your, your client base, but it's actually, you, you need to be an employer of choice. We're in a really tight employment market you want to attract great people. You can't do that just by business as usual. Like you actually need to differentiate and that's uh, and that's what we, have, you know, that's what we're working to do and I can't do it without, you know, really I think considered strategy. Yeah, I think you're right. And being on the ground and talking to your people to find out what they actually want and need and, and or what, what they're thinking about, what's on their radar, you know, they're the sort of thing. And being with them at work until 7 o'clock at night when they finish. That's been really interesting. I haven't done that for a long time. And so just being there until the end, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, seeing how, how that feels and what's going on. I think that it's been a very good few weeks for me in terms of my learning. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to see what 2023 brings for you. It sounds like it's going to be really interesting because I think there'll be a lot of things that pop up by that process of just being around more and having more time on your hands, which is something that you've always been very limited with, very time poor. Um, and I guess the boys are, are getting older now, more self-sufficient, and and so that allows you to, to have those choices. But does it, Tanya? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go there right now. It's Monday for anyone who um, I'm not sure when we'll release this podcast, but um, Monday means you've just spent the weekend with your children doing all the things that need to be done. But, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave that one for another day. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I, I, I know that we'll have some allied health professionals uh, that are listening. So please look up Trisha's podcast, The Business of Health. I think you'll find some value in it. I really enjoyed listening to it, even though I'm not a um, an allied health uh, professional at all. Um, but as you say, for business owners as well, there's always things that we can learn of each other and share and um, really appreciate you coming and sharing with us today. I was very honoured to be asked, Tanya, so thank you. <laughs> Most welcome. All right, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and um, we'll see you next time on Money Mind. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making nor to be taken as a substitute for personal advice. Please contact Amplify Wealth Management to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. Money Mind. If you have any questions about your financial future, please head to amplifywealth.com.au. Money Mind is available to download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.